Your home's the meddler. Home's the busybody. Home's the Scotland Yard Jack in office. <laughs> <laughs> your conversation really is most entertaining. If you would close the door. On your way out. Thank you, Mrs. Hudson. Just another client. Fancy his having the insolence to confound me with the official detective force. Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again for an episode of the IWMP podcast. My name is Matthew Porter. And I, by your deductions, am Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And we are still homes for the holidays. Ah, uh, kind of wrapping up this wonderful season. Yeah. Uh, Christmas Day will have uh, will have come and gone by the time you hear this, but uh, we'll be within the 12 days of Christmas still. Hopefully you'll have been able to guess all of your presents. <laughs> and we're still talking about Sherlock Holmes. We've talked so far about the original stories, at least the first one, A Study in Scarlet, and we talked about what for most of the 20th century was, I think, the most famous adaptation of Sherlock Holmes, which is uh, the Basil Rathbone, Nigel Bruce movies. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to talk about what was really the canonical adaptation of Sherlock Holmes for me Oh, when I was young. This is the one that you really knew as a, a series? It is, and it's the one that got me to reread the stories and that I would I thought of, and the one that matched my sense of the character very well, and then influenced my sense of the character also. And that is the Granada TV series starring Jeremy Brett, ran from 1984 to 1994. That's a pretty good run. Yeah. Yeah. And they adapted most, but sadly not all, of the Conan Doyle stories. Which ones did they not get? About 19 that they didn't adapt. Sadly, those 19 include A Study in Scarlet. Oh, well. We never got their their portrayal of how Holmes and Watson met. In some ways, though, this is one of the series that would have actually bothered with completely changing filming styles for a little bit to do the the cutaway to a different section, and I can understand them not going there. They, they keep a lot of things pretty close to the book. They keep things pretty consistent. They shave it down, but they're not wildly changing stories too much, are they? Right. They're not just, like I think I described it last time, stripping them for parts the way the Basil Rathbone movies did. They are adapting the Conan Doyle stories as faithfully as they can while still changing them as much as necessary to really make them good television. And that's as much as I can ask for in a TV adaptation. Absolutely. There, there's so much about this that just feels iconic because of that, because it is this distillation of the, of the stories. And there's elements here where I'm like realizing how this has invaded the perception of the series in odd little ways that I want to reference. But like, there's something about the fact that they get the time frame and the period and the look just right. The energy that they present the characters with and the, the situations, it just feels so much like what this entire series is now. And they draw a very good balance between treating Holmes and Watson and their partnership as like eternal without beginning or end, because we never do see them meet in a study in Scarlet. And yet we do see 
Watson learning and growing and and studying Holmes's methods after a fashion. Absolutely. This is the most active Watson I've seen in most things. There's only a few other uh, Sherlock Holmes stories where Watson seems this engaged. Right. And, and it's the fact that this series gets Watson right, in my point of view, that makes me more disappointed with the choices that were made in the Basil Rathbone movies. Again, not... Uh, about Nigel Bruce's performance. I think he did a great job with that character, but that character isn't the Watson I know. It's the Watson they needed for a movie, I suppose, in, in 1940. And in, and we, if we're going to talk about Watson in this, we've got to kind of talk about the fact that there are two Watsons. Yeah, two different actors. Se- season one has David Burke uh, for the entire thing, but they end it with Reichenbacher Falls. Reichenbach. Yeah. Reichenbach. <laughs> What am I saying? <laughs> I don't know. Reichenbacher sounds pretty cool, though. Sounds like a... I don't know why I'm adding a syllable, and a I don't know what. good German beer. Yeah. Go with, yeah. It's got a couple of Reichenbachers. But uh, when they return for the second season, they've got Edward Hardwick playing the role, which kind of makes it look... But just based on the way the actor is portraying it, he's a little less energetic, but he's still got the character going. It almost felt like a, a Watson who has sat around waiting and not being part of the game the same way, which means Holmes showing up like nothing's happened is more striking. But he never quite was up to 11 the same way. I suppose that's right. I don't think there's a huge difference between the way the two of them portray the character, but you're right. There is a little bit of a change in energy from uh, from Burke to, to Hardwick. And Hardwick was actually recommended by Burke, when Burke was leaving for, I think he uh, got a position with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, and and was, so was leaving the series, wasn't going to be back for series two, and recommended his friend Edward Hardwick to replace him. And, and that was a, a nice thing to do and a nice thing for us, because I think that as good as Burke was, I think Hardwick carried that, uh, that very well. I mean, he was able to ha- carry it for another six seasons, so. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty big. This entire series is in, I feel like it's infused with honestly my favorite Sherlock Holmes story. Really? What's that? I am a big fan of how Watson learned the trick, (laughs) which is Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's self-written parody of the Sherlock Holmes series, where Watson attempts to do a deduction move on Sherlock at the breakfast table and then is proven to have gotten every point wrong. <laughs> but it is the best example of Watson trying to learn the deduction methods and turning them on Sherlock, and it ends with what can only be described as this written delight from Sherlock Holmes at Watson's brilliant attempt. There's something very much, oh, that's a fine one, I'll pin it on the fridge, kind of feeling yes. about it. But and- there. But being able to have Watson that is so interested in learning Sherlock's things, not just following the adventure, but learning the deduction and trying to make deductions himself is fun. And you are absolutely right. That shows up repeatedly through this this TV adaptation. And that's one thing that Jeremy Brett as Sherlock Holmes, and of course we'll talk more about his portrayal of Holmes, but something he gets right and something that turns that relationship into that save the cat relationship humanizes Holmes a bit is that delight in 
seeing Watson try to do this, even if he's not getting it right. Oh, it's adorable, isn't it? He's trying to deduce things. How, what, how wonderful. <laughs> it, it is so perfect. And that, the fact that he can be able to portray that with a Sherlock Holmes, Brett is doing so ama- such amazing work. Because ah, there's so many Sherlock Holmes that become Vulcans. They become... I, eh, that's a weird phrase. They become these frozen, stiff characters. And being able to see a Sherlock Holmes that will, will make quips is just great. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what a Vulcan is, but... Uh, you're right that he he's too often by making him very cerebral, they drain him of emotion. And Brett does not do that. There is a lot of emotion to this character, but it's a very, very interior performance. We see Sherlock Holmes thinking in the face of Jeremy Brett. We see him reacting to things with his own peculiar emotions in the face of Jeremy Brett. And I think that is um, is what makes him such an interesting character. He's n- not all about, and again, TV versus movies is a big part of this, but he's not all about the confident declarations of, of knowledge. He's about figuring out the puzzle and reveling in the puzzle. There's a man who's like smiling as he finds the piece that fits into the slot. Just, aha! Look at this. In the, uh, the most recent episode that we watched, uh, just tonight, The Speckled Band, we watch him listening to his new client explain things, and there's just this glitter that shows up in his eyes as he's listening to the details. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's delightful to see. And it's not just joy. This is a Sherlock Holmes that in that same episode has a moment where he is afraid. We see Sherlock Holmes hesitate in fear and that is important this is not a man so single-mindedly cerebral that he has overcome the innate fear of death that comes with being mortal he is not above humanity he is human he is specialized but he is human and that is huge because in some ways by that same nature I was saying before, like, you need a villain who is someone who you can relate to so that the difference between a crime being punished and a person with villainous action can be different things in a Sherlock Holmes story. You need a Sherlock Holmes that is human so that the risks and dangers his clients are facing, the impact he is having on his environment is not something lost on the man. Because then he becomes disconnected and his he is a man just solving puzzles with no regard as to why but that regard is important in order to maintain which side of the line he is on it also is important for when he crosses a side of a line it's a move so i like seeing a sherlock with a range because that gives weight to all the other actions that even if he's not portraying one of these big emotions during that time yeah the wrong way to do a character like sherlock holmes is to make him supposedly so brave or sure of himself that he acknowledges no danger. And you're, you're right, not just in the speckled band, but throughout this, Jeremy Brett's Sherlock Holmes is smart enough to recognize and acknowledge every serious danger there is, and there's a significant amount in his line of work. But he is 
brave enough and confident enough in his thought process to go ahead and do uh, go ahead and take the best course of action, even though there is something to be afraid of and there is danger. And I think we can see all of that in the way that Jeremy Brett uh, portrays this character. A man walks into Sherlock Holmes' office with a loaded revolver. Sherlock Holmes should be able to distinguish the difference between how much he can read off of this guy and how much a threat the guy is, and how much a threat a loaded revolver is in the hands of any person. Yes. And that's yes. a very distinct difference. And he, he, can, he can have weight on one side, but the moment he can get the guy to put it down, he can pacify or neutralize this guy, or maybe this guy's a danger regardless of that, and he'll respond to that accordingly. And having an actor like Brett who can portray that even with just facial reactions, without words, is great. And it emphasizes when he then uses words. And he, he carries off that physicality aspect of Sherlock Holmes extremely well. In uh, a pre prior episode, you read the description of Sherlock Holmes from A Study in Scarlet. And some of the, the, the interesting details, but also the paradoxes that Watson noticed in him. And I think Jeremy Brett portrays those very well, that he is he's this tall, lean, hawkish kind of person, but he is both weirdly delicate at times, but also capable of great physical strength and action when those are called for. In the, in the, the solitary cyclist mystery, we see him get into a fistfight at a bar and win. He didn't choose to get into the fistfight. But once somebody else struck, he made sure everybody else saw that he was defending himself, and he squared off and taught the guy a lesson. Not something that every Sherlock Holmes portrayal would believably be able to do, and not everything every Sherlock Holmes portrayal would have bothered doing or have been interested in doing. Too many of them are trying to make him purely uh, a man of the mind, and he isn't and he can't be for this job. Turning him into a man, of a, a man of the mind oddly inevitably leads to him being a superhero, which sometimes oddly inevitably makes him a strong, tough guy again, <laughs> when his strong toughness is like something you could have gotten before you went that way. And if, uh, if Jeremy Brett's Sherlock Holmes is a superhero, he's very much a post-1980s superhero, because he's also a deeply neurotic character. Oh, yeah. He is someone who is troubled of mind in many ways and who recognizes that about himself and i think he also recognizes that watson is good for him in many ways and having a partner he can work with and trust and talk to is very important and, and helps him and they acknowledge the the substance abuse issues that sherlock holmes the character has without making it too important to the story essentially it's watson especially in the first series of this Watson being on guard against that, but it always turns out that Holmes has a case to work on and never quite needs to, to uh, turn to the needle. And in some ways, they're able to, after season two and such, they're able to get a little bit more of a, you were away and gone and not touching it for this time, <laughs> and we're just going to make sure you don't slide back. Right. It's a little more watching your friend as he came out of a, a, an odd form of rehab. So I think that our lead actors playing Holmes and Watson are, are very good, and they, they get better as the series goes on. They're a little bit tentative 
in the first few episodes. They're figuring out what to do with these characters. And, but they get much more confident, much more ready to inhabit these characters as the series goes on. For the rest of the series, coming back to this after not having seen any of them for more than a decade, I was amused and surprised at the first season. There's a lot of high school drama club level stuff there oh, yeah. between some of the sets, but also some of the acting. I mean, it's not the most nuanced acting, not the most forceful acting either. And that too, I think gets better. I almost get the impression that this series was not taken very seriously in its first few episodes when they were casting, when they, or maybe it was a budget issue, when they were deciding how to portray things. And as it succeeded, it gained so much more weight and perhaps attracted better and better actors as well, or inspired the actors that it attracted and that it cast to dig deeper and to to deliver better performances. But I see a, just a dramatic difference in the some of the supporting portrayals in uh, Scandal in Bohemia, which was the first episode of the first season, and some of the later episodes, even in the first season, let alone the later seasons. They, they get much, much better. Absolutely. There's something the scrappy about that early design work. You mentioned the set, and I'm getting to do something that's a little odd here. Picturing this set of what Sherlock Holmes and Watson's stand usual room looks like. If you stood with your back to the two windows, on your right is the fireplace. In front of you on the left side is an inset doorway. And on to the right of that is a longer hallway, usually where Sherlock is performing various of his experiments on the table. In the center of the room is a smaller table in between two very different styled armchairs. Now, did I just describe the office from this one or from BBC's Sherlock? It's the same layout. <laughs> yes, I think they both. I don't know if, if the Sherlock is a reference to this or if they both just scoured the original stories and references to architecture and design of the time. But there's something about how clearly and well-made this gets it, even with that cheap budget, you know, issues at the at the start kind of problems. It does certain things right that it feels now like that's just how this looks. Because these other things, we can't tell if it's referencing it because this got it so right. And that's one of those things that created such a clear picture for me in going back and rereading the stories when I was younger was how how right all of those settings and all those physical aspects of this seemed to be. Also, as somebody who had, had really enjoyed these as a kid, and again, was going back to them when I was watching these, there was this wealth of detail and all these things that are sometimes glossed over in adaptations, and yet they're all in here for the fans, like the index, the carefully indexed alphabetized record of everything every case that um, Holmes has had other information about crime in and around London oh, this yes. is Victorian database that he had where he was able to with a little bit of thinking and and selecting lay his hands on all the information that he might possibly need whether it was his case or something else that he had read about 
And that kind of, that was useful to me because it shows that it's not just about Holmes having very high raw intelligence and having a method. He also had preparation. We see in this version of Holmes some of the background that Watson gives us in A Study in Scarlet. All the things that Holmes has studied, all the things that he has prepared for, all this weird, quirky education he has given himself because it fits this profession that he has created. And it was so nice to see all those details in there. That's the kind of thing that makes me think that who the people who created this word loved Sherlock Holmes and wanted to do it justice, wanted to make a canonical adaptation, and uh, and succeeded in so many ways. This is even a Sherlock Holmes that realized the fact that in order to provide the information and cut stuff down, they needed a chance to be able to tell things to the audience without showing them. And they realized the fact that going across London in that time meant a lot of train travel. And they figured out how to use the exposition train to high effect, because that's where he gives setup every time. And it's those little details where it's like, we're going to figure out how to use a not-too-expensive set and a time-period-accurate thing that needed to happen to, at the same time, make sure this story is being told right. It's literally leveraging one limitation against the other. Maybe that's why I like, as as these adaptations go, I like some of the ones that take place out in the countryside so much, like Silver Blaze mm, or that, The Speckled Band, where we get to see them going elsewhere and taking these train trips. And um, and speaking of the trains in uh, in the Speckled Band, maybe in others, but I noticed it in the Speckled Band. There was this shot, a two shot of Holmes and Watson in the train carriage facing one another across the seats. It's like line for line the illustration for uh, of Holmes and Watson in the train from from one of the stories. It was composed so perfectly to capture that original illustration from when the stories were published that I thought, oh, wow, that is so cool. I, I do want to grab random screenshots from this show and go into Photoshop and see if I can't make it look like a woodblock print. That would be interesting. I think I can, because there's oh, yeah. something about the way it gets it. I mean, the opening is not of Sherlock and, and Watson for a little while. It's a bunch of setup of the town going about its business, and then it moves into them. Yeah, it re- it's establishing their environment. It's establishing this um, London circa 1890 environment they find themselves in. Mm-hmm. And it's some ways not pulling punches as to how not great that was at times, but it's also s- that little bit of the sepia-toned wonderland that they attempt. It's It's this balance. Right, and it helps us establish that fact of the detective that we talked about in one of the earlier episodes of a detective is somebody who can and must deal with different types of society. And we see snapshots of almost all of them in that opening sequence. There's everything from, you know, from the, the uh, well-to-do people shopping to the street kids and everything in between. And I wouldn't say there has been a bad actor amongst the, the people. A lot of them are doing okay. Some of those first couple of episodes, it was like, I... Oh, okay, I, I I don't want to be ungenerous, but they were not particularly good performances for Mo- some of the supporting roles. Most of the reoccurring supporting roles are good. Yes, Miss yes. Hudson, Mrs. Ex- Hudson, excellently played. Good. They're yeah. Lestrade, well played. Yep. 
we don't see a lot of their Moriarty in most cases, but he's not bad. Yeah, he, um, we kind of, they, they set him up and knock him down pretty quickly in the last few episodes of the first season. In some ways, it's a, okay, we gotta get rid of this guy so we can tell other stories without him hanging over them. Yeah, yeah, he was almost a Baron Harkonnen sort of Moriarty. I don't know why I gave that impression. I see what you mean. <laughs> huh. But for all of that, it was uh, their, um, their adaptation of uh, The Final Problem that ends with uh, Reichenbach Falls was pretty good. And oh. it gave uh, you know, Jeremy Breton and, and Burke a chance to, uh, to go to the Alps to film a whole bunch of stuff. I'm sure they enjoyed that. Was that the bit with the very, very funny dummy hit? though on the drop <laughs> yeah because they had some because that was like that was the most uh, uh bad prop moment that they had where you could the the cutaway to uh the two dummies being pushed off a cliff down the falls was so obvious because if one of them bounces yeah i mean first it's there's a couple of stuntmen dropping on descent lines with brakes and the rigs are obvious now granted again these are not were not shot to be seen on a 51 inch LCD TV, but still, the rigs were pretty obvious. And then, like, cut to Watson's reaction or somebody's reaction or something, and cut to dummies bouncing off rocks. It was kind of t- takes you out of the story. Uh, and that even that, that makes the whole like, huh, I didn't die. Start of the next season, all the more funny. It's like I I watched you bounce. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, clever yeah. ruse. Like, oh, dang it. But one uh, one story that gives us an interesting uh, point of comparison is their adaptation of Hound of the Baskervilles. Oh, yeah. I wanted to make a point of watching that because I thought it was, it was good. I remembered it as being good. But also, the first and I think in many ways best of the Basil Rathbone movies was their adaptation of Hound of the Baskervilles. So how do you think the Jeremy Brett version, the Granada TV version, stands up against the Basil Rathbone version? I remember correctly, the dogs glowed. Yes, the dog in the Granada version glows. They kept that in from the story. It glows like almost radioactively, and I think that's amazing. Now, I think that was done with um, some uh, optical effects after shooting uh, animation or something, but it really was effective. That was way too effective. I'm just here thinking, like, uh, Sherlock Holmes could solve this case with a Geiger counter. What's going on? My goodness. But in terms of the actual mystery, it's great. And despite not having a lot of time to work within, they compress that story well and keep in it both the isolation and the mystery and the the, the suspense and the supernatural element just a little. They do. It it comes off as more of a ghost story yeah. than the Basil Rathbone movie does. The Basil <laughs> Rathbone movie, it always seems like a spooky murder mystery, but never quite the, are we in a ghost story that that tale really should uh, should convey. And I think that the, the Granada TV Jeremy Brett version really does make you wonder, wow, this is ghostly. It's a glowing dog. It's not just a scary dog. It's glowing. Uh, Do you see that? A proper Hound of the Baskervilles should be the most Scooby-Doo-like episode of Sherlock Holmes (laughs) ever, complete with unnatural canines. 
It absolutely is. Absolutely. And they keep that going. This is this is all that tension and that little bit of fridge laughter later when you're like, that was ridiculous, (laughs) but awesome. Yeah. I mean, now I could say it's ridiculous. If I saw that out on the moors with all the uh, with people having died here recently. Yeah, that's kind of scary. Yeah, that would be terrifying. But even their original stories are well done. Silver Blaze is original to this, right? No, none of these are original. These are all adaptations of Conan Doyle stories, including Silver Blaze, which is a good Conan Doyle story. Wow. I have not read as many of the Sherlock Holmes as I thought. They've got seven seasons. I have just that, and they still miss 19. Yeah. Dang. There are a lot of stories written. Yeah. I I keep thinking like, oh, I've got the full. I must have read most. I must have not read as many of these as I thought. (laughs) My goodness. But all of these are great. Yeah. And Silver Blaze, uh, I mean that—that's the one that has one of the one of the most famous Sherlock Holmes lines out there. One that's been you know used as a title for other books. The curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. Oh yeah, why am I thinking that was original? That um, and they do a good job with Silver Blaze. I like Silver Blaze because it lets us kind of see Sherlock Holmes operating in a different sort of world, a different sort of technical world as he's dealing with, uh, with the world of horse racing. And that's one of the things that I like about mysteries and detective stories in general, is when they are set in a place where you can kind of feel like you're getting a glimpse of a bunch of experts in a specialty world of their own. And we do get to see that, I think, in Silver Blaze as he's dealing with that uh, uh, people involved in horse racing and a mystery involving horse racing. Their their version of Redhead League is properly uh, Sherlock Holmes versus <laughs> city planning. I I like that just because it's it's in some ways the goofiest and funniest. Oh yeah, <laughs> of the uh, the Sherlock Holmes stories, and they they manage to convey that well. That's one where they even they are thwarting a crime in process, but they are they understand what that crime is so well that there's no real danger. And therefore, they can kind of be amused by these criminals they're about to capture. It's Sherlock and Watson and Lestrade and a bunch of um, the uh, British constabulary sitting in the vault <laughs> waiting for the rock to move. And the bank president. Yeah, yeah it's like, <laughs> hi there. So, yeah. And, and um, the, the, the client, the person who comes to Holmes with the mystery in the first place, is so suitably goofy and fun. That I think uh, that's that's one of my favorites of it's, it's one of my favorite stories, but it's also one of my favorites of these. It is excellent, and that's why it's fun to c- contrast that with something like the Speckled Band, which is so much darker mm-hmm. and so much more serious, and there is so much more at stake, and a little bit of that in uh, the Solitary Cyclist, yeah, which has a lot in common with the Speckled Band. It does. In some ways, I mean, different plots, but some it, of the same parts. Yeah, they 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 are very very cast similar in that sense. Like, who who? What roles do we need to fill for this to all play out? And I do think that in some ways they treat everything a little bit more lightly than is appropriate in uh, the solitary the solitary cyclist, but they do come around to a, a more appropriate dark tone for the speckled band yeah so the fact that this one series shifts tones even if they're not always shifts that i agree with the fact that they can shift tones and yet still clearly be the same characters in the same world works very well it's a sherlock holmes that is 
become aware of its cultural value as both a very serious set of detective stories and as this piece of media so wide that it can be amusing because it contains so much stuff and these situations can be just kooky enough that they need to pull in Sherlock Holmes and acknowledging all of that it can then just come here to tell you these stories and that is fun so do you have a favorite of the ones that uh that we watched oh that's a tough one it's kind of whatever which one we just watched like i didn't have one that stood out to me more than the others i liked each of them as we went it's really tough yeah for me it would be between their hound of the baskervilles and probably uh, the Speckled Band. Speckled Band was very good. That one was an excellent one. And I, I wish I liked their adaptation of Scandal in Bohemia more than I did. Yeah, that's probably the lowest on my list. That one was... Mm, but low, I, low on that list yeah. is a, a different thing. And I like that story, and it's, it's the story that introduces uh, a reading Adler. And I wish uh, I had an adaptation by by these TV creators at their peak than the adaptation of that story as they were figuring things out, which is what I feel like we got. Yeah, if that had been a season three instead of a season one story. Yeah. But I think we are... Uh, we're probably tipping our hand as to conclusions here. Oh, I think so. So, shall we? I guess so. It's a TV series. Binge or no binge? Drip feed binge. <laughs> okay, so that's a, a, a paste binge, huh? Paste binge. That's the thing. I, I like this. And in some ways, because it is such an excellent example, I don't want to just dig through them all and run out. I want to be able to know I've got more Sherlock Holmes to go back to. And I say that without defining which one it is. This is just going back to Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> I'd never seen any of this before. I'd never heard of this interpretation before. Oh, I, I, I knew you hadn't seen it. I didn't know that it, I its hadn't existence heard was of new this to you. One. This was brand new to me. And I have a new favorite interpretation of Sherlock Holmes in media now. Oh, wow. This is so brilliant at presenting it that I'm loving it. And I want to keep watching it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to see where I can get physical copies so that I don't have to worry about whether or not it'll stay or leave any streaming services. So I mean, right, right now, we've got it, I believe, through, like, BritBox. Yeah. But if that goes away, I want to make sure I still got it. <laughs> hey, there are DVD releases, I believe. Oh, good. So I'm sure that they are, uh, they are out there. So this is better than Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century. <laughs> oh goodness anyone who's on our patreon will hear our words about that this one at least knows when to be quiet <laughs> oh boy <laughs> yeah i would i would say binge this parcel it out make it last enjoy it recognize that it's going to shift so there are some of these stories you don't want this to be the last thing you watch before you try to go to bed uh and there are others where it's exactly the right thing like Redheaded League. But I would say, uh, yeah, go ahead and binge this. Find it. It's, it's well worth watching. And it's interesting that it's, it sounds like it, this is the canonical adaptation for you now, the way it was oh, for yeah. me. It, it, it's not just a, a time period of when you got to see it. This is just this good. It is good. It is. 
and it's it is faithful and accurate to whatever extent that means something without being stayed without losing it sometimes when things try to be too faithful there's no energy to them and this has plenty of energy so mm-hmm. yeah i would say binge this and uh and it is sad that we don't have the whole thing i really do think that they were aiming to make this not only a canonical set of adaptations of the conan doyle stories but also a complete one so it's a shame that they did not have an opportunity to uh to complete these before uh, Jeremy Brett uh, passed away. There is one other Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes that I have not seen that I'm going to have to try to find. Oh? The Four Oaks Mystery. What? In 1992, there was a mystery story that was part of a charity telethon put on by ITV, where this was originally broadcast. And Jeremy Brett and and Hardwick were in about a 10-minute mini-episode that was part of the Four Oaks mystery. Because the Four Oaks mystery had, like, four parts, each starring a different star of an ITV detective series. Oh, goodness. So, in addition to Holmes and Watson, there was Taggart... Uh, Evander Valk and Inspector Wexford. Oh, we're also have- <laughs> from ITV TV series. I've never seen. I think I have seen some Taggart. I don't think I've seen any of the other two. But we're gonna have to find the Four Oaks mysteries somewhere. I think. I think that. it's on YouTube. I just checked. I think we can pull <laughs> it up at some point. So that's the only one I think I haven't seen, and it's the only one that I believe is not based. On a Conan Doyle story. Well, I can maybe um, I can maybe append my uh, previous comment and see how much their original content works. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So I think we're agreed on the binge. Once again, for just not only for this, but for the whole Homes for the Holidays series that we're putting on, our next usual question doesn't entirely fit the revive, reboot, or rest in peace. We can't really revive this one. No, I mean, you don't have these performers, you don't have everything that went into this. You could use it as an inspiration for trying to do a faithful and fun and well-produced set of adaptations, but that's really just another set of adaptations of the Conan Doyle stories. Absolutely, and so I think this is just a chance to double down on the concept of reboot for Sherlock Holmes. Holmes is a a popular character he's to the point where he's concept but there's something about these stories that is is powerful and is inspirational in terms of just the way it gets you to think the way it presents the the concept of mystery itself the way it it pulls you in and in some ways like the character himself sherlock disappears sherlock is an odd man of his of various interests. He's a master of disguise, and you don't know where he'll pop up, what he'll look like, what he'll know about, and such. And in some ways, interpretations of Sherlock Holmes are like that as well. You don't know when they'll pop up. You don't know what they will look like in the time. They will try to blend in, or they'll try to stand out, depending on what they need. But I welcome them every time, because there's something about these stories that is compelling, and is somehow always a little 
on point. I've never seen a Sherlock Holmes adaptation that doesn't at least have something to do with when it is or what that time is thinking about. And in this case, it's thinking about how can we be original and true to that story. We've seen interpretations where he is attempting to be in the moment or predict the future moments. Don't try that one as much. Or it is is Sherlock Holmes wherever he needs to be solving the mystery presented. And that is promising. And I hope that this continues. And we're going to have more Sherlock Holmeses to talk about at some point because there's always more. And I love that. Yeah, this will not end with the, the 2020 Holmes for the holidays. I'm sure we will come across more Sherlock Holmes. But uh, I think you're right. As far as the, the Granada TV, Jeremy Brett version of Sherlock Holmes, rest in peace. I'm always going to come back to it. It's always going to be the first thing I think about when I think of adaptations of Sherlock Holmes. But beyond that, yeah, give me more more adaptations. Give me more reboots. And I'm confident there always will be, just because there's always so much to find there. The original stories were so very much of their time, but like all good crime fiction, they had to dig in not only to the details of their time, but to some very universal human ideas and characteristics. And that's one of the reasons why these are so often returned to. It's not just that Sherlock Holmes is such a compelling character, though he is. It's also that these stories are always telling us something about people and about the conflicts between people and what people's priorities are. And every generation not only finds things in these stories, it also finds new things to focus on because they're so rich. Uh, so I, I have no doubt that we're going to continue to see great adaptations of Sherlock Holmes and some less great adaptations of Sherlock Holmes uh, just because they're always going to have that attraction. We hope that uh, that you listeners have enjoyed uh, Homes for the Holidays. This has been a fun theme. It was a great way to spend our, our December It's been podcast. awesome. It has been fun. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with more tales of media from the 20th century, uh, or possibly earlier. <laughs> and, and someday, I'm sure we will also return to Sherlock Holmes. But in the meantime, Ian, where can people find you? I can be found on Twitter as ItemCrafting, on YouTube and Twitch as ItemCrafting and ItemCrafting Live, respectively. And you can find me at ByMatthewPorter.com. You can find me on Twitter as uh, at ByMatthewPorter. You can also find me on Twitch uh, as ByMatthewPorter. And you can find the podcast at IMMProject.com. That's where you will find all of our past uh, episodes, two years worth now, and where you will find... Uh, links to our Discord. We would love to hear from you there. You'll also have a contact page if you prefer to contact us by uh, by email. Uh, also find a link to our shop where if you like t-shirts, coffee mugs, notebooks, all kinds of fun things there. And also a link to our Patreon. If you're able to support us on Patreon or if you already do so, we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. That helps keep us uh, going with this podcast. Also, this month on Patreon... We've got two special Sherlock Holmes entries, Patreon uh, bonuses, about some other adaptations of Sherlock Holmes, some well-known, some probably less well-known, and possibly less well-known for good reason. 
But we, still fun to talk about. Yeah, we, we actually cover three different versions in that. So if you want to double your homes during this holiday season, <laughs> it's on the Patreon right now. So thanks again. We look forward to being back with more podcasts. And we hope that everyone is really enjoying this holiday season. And in the meantime, go find something new to watch. It's elementary.